As we continue our series through the book of Psalms, we're on Psalm 34 today. And uh, in the title of the psalm, there are a couple of footnotes in my translation of the Bible. One of them is that this is another one of the psalms where the um, author took extra care in creating the poetry to start each phrase with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So A is for this, and B is for that, C is for this, and and uh, so each verse, that's why there's 22 verses, is because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And um, that's on purpose. The other thing is that the footnote would tell us that the, the scribes who put together the books of the Psalms attribute this psalm to one that David wrote right after a very deep suffering, right after a terrible time. And so the content of the psalm comes out of the context that we'll be studying about in a few minutes of David's deep suffering. So it's important for us to understand that this psalm is sort of a response psalm, a response to difficult times in David's life. And as such, it stands as both a, um, a great a glor- a glorification of God, a great statement of how God, great God is, but also how important the gospel is to us today as well. And so what we'll do is I'll read through the psalm entirely, and then I I just basically see four sections of the psalm, and so we'll work through those four sections and understand the structure and spend some time on each of those particular sections as we typically do. So let me read it for you. David starts, he says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted heart hear, or let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He protects all their bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. 
The Lord redeems his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Father in heaven, we thank you for this piece of uh, your scripture, this part of your word that you've given us. Help us to understand it well. Thank you that you meet us in our needs of, in our times of deep suffering, that you meet us and you give us instruction. Thank you that you redeem us and we'll praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So as, as I said earlier, we're gonna kind of work our way through and the first thing I see is that the psalm starts with praise the Lord. So again, like uh, last week with Psalm 33, the start of the psalm is a call to praise. It's good that our service starts with our worship service, our music part, that's, that's kind of biblical. We start with praise, even if we haven't yet remembered why or found out why. And, and, and in some ways, I sort of wish that the psalmist would end with this praise because I'd understand why better, but he just has to start out, you, you need to understand I'm praising the Lord. And so he says, I will extol the Lord at all times. This word for extol is the word to, to, uh, to praise or to bless. Um, it's, uh, I think it's Barak is the way it's pronounced in Hebrew. And it's just, I'll bless the Lord. It's, I'm just gonna say things about him all the time. His praise, uh, again, his Barak will be always on my lips. And then I will glorify in the Lord. And this word for glorify, according to my notes, is, to, is the word that we get hallelujah from. So it's hallel. And so I will hallelujah to the Lord. I will glory in the Lord. I'll praise him. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And then in verse three, it says glorify the Lord. And the word for glorify is the idea of make bigger, great, grow it up, become more great. And so make the name of the Lord great. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And so David starts out with just some great praise about how great Yahweh has been to him and how good he is. And so that's a good posture for all of us. We need a, uh, as it said, a, a regular dose of the transcendent, right? That God is bigger than our world and he's bigger than my fears. He's bigger than my enemies. He's bigger than my life. And when I comprehend that again, I'm encouraged and able to go forward. So then um, after he praises the Lord, he, he talks about this response to a personal experience. And so David has this experience. And again, I'm going to trust the, uh, the editors of the text that, they, that the, uh, this is indeed the story or a psalm that came out of his time when he was under the... Uh, when he fled to Achish and he had to get away. And so uh, before we read the psalm part, let me kind of recapitulate the story for you. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we're going to read from, but let me just give you, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Well, let me tell you a little bit about that day that happened before this. If we back up a little bit farther, um, Jonathan is Saul's son, he would be the perceived heir to the throne. And David has been blessed and anointed by Samuel to become the future king. And so really, David and Jonathan would be rivals, right? Jonathan would perceive David typically as a rival for the throne. Jonathan's father is Saul, and he would become the next king as succession. And that was Saul's plan. 
But Jonathan sees that God has blessed David and he gives up his rights earlier in the relationship. Jonathan even gives David all of his, his sword and a symbol of his power. And he understands that God's plan is greater. And Jonathan loves David and wants David to get the kingship. And he understands that that's, that's going to happen. Well, as time progresses, Saul becomes increasingly jealous of David and, and tries twice to kill David at different times. And so Jonathan is just not persuaded that his dad is really that much of an enemy against David. And so David tells him, hey, your dad is trying to kill me. He's trying to take me out. And Jonathan says, okay, let's work out a test here. There's a festival, a feast coming up, and you're going to be expected to be there. But you don't come. You stay out here and hide. And when, uh, when the feast comes, I'll discern whether or not my father's spirit is really against you or not. And so the first day of the festival um, David's not there, his chair is empty, but Saul assumes that it was some sort of ritual uncleanness that he wasn't there. And so then the second day, David's not there again, and so Saul asked Jonathan, where is David? And Jonathan basically fabricates as part of this test. He says uh, he has to stay with his family, and so he's been excused. And, and Saul picks up somehow that Jonathan's not being genuine or whatever, but Saul's suspicions are fired, and he says, you, and he, he curses him against his mother, you, you, you're, you're son of a perverse woman, and yeah, I know you're in league with this. Don't you realize that your throne is never going to be established? And in his anger, Saul throws a spear at his son Jonathan to pin him to the wall in the same way that he had tried to pin David to the wall a couple of times before. Jonathan eludes the spear and flees from the banquet. And so he goes out into the field. And remember, Jonathan and David had worked this out in advance. Well, after this thing, you go and hide by this rock, and I'll bring my servant out, and I'll shoot some arrows. And, if, and after I shoot the arrows, I'll tell my servant, you go out there. And, and if I say to my servant, no, 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 you're too far. The arrows are on this side. Come closer. Then that'll be code for you to know that you're safe. But if I tell my servant, no, it's farther beyond you. You've got to go farther I wonder how dumb this servant is. This little boy can't find arrows. But anyway, if I say, go farther, go farther, then that's code for you, David, hiding in behind the rock to take off. You're right. Saul is trying to take you out. And so Jonathan goes out there and he shoots the arrows. And sadly, he has to say, go farther. And he says, hurry, go quickly and flee for your life. And their friendship is so so dear to both of them that they're broken. And so, um, not according to plan, Jonathan tells the little boy who's getting his arrows, here, take this back to the town. And Jonathan goes out and, and David and Jonathan embrace and they weep. And the Bible tells us that David weeps even more than Jonathan because he has to flee and because his life is in danger. And so Jonathan goes back and, and David flees and he goes down to Abiathar the priest. And the priest is afraid because he knows of this intrigue and things. And he said, yeah, who could be more trusted than David? And so he, he takes care of him. And there's this story about how there was bread that was available. And, the, and his men got the bread and stuff. And, um, and so that um, story then goes to David asks um, Abiathar, hey, do you have any, uh, any weapons? I, don't even, I didn't even have time uh, my business for the king is so urgent. He doesn't really tell him that he's fleeing for his life. He just says, I'm on urgent business. I didn't even have time to get a weapon. Do you have a weapon that I could have, a, a, some kind of a sword or something? 
And sure enough, right here in Abiathar's presence is whose sword? Goliath's sword. Somehow it had been stored in some kind of a museum setting or whatever, I don't know. And so uh, Abiathar the priest gives David the sword of the giant that he killed when he was a little boy. And David said, there's none like it. So that's the day that we're talking about. So that day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Now, who's Achish? He's the king of the Philistines. What's Gath? Gath is a town. Which town is that? Goliath's hometown, <laughs> right? And, uh, and so he goes, and, but the servants of Achish said to him, hey, isn't this David, the king of the land? You know, even the enemies understand that David's going to be the future king. Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? And this is what galled Saul so much as everybody were singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And the text tells us earlier that Saul was upset about that. You know, how come they say a thousand for me and 10,000 for David? And, and uh, his jealousy was, but here's, the enemy, here's the king servant of Achish saying, Saul is saying, this is the guy that everybody sings about as slays the 10,000s. What are we going to do? And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. You kind of wonder what David was thinking to even flee to this place in the first place. But I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I don't know. He was trying to get away from Saul and he fled to the enemy and he was terrified. So can you imagine what a, what a pickle he's in? He's got, he's got Goliath's sword. He's in Goliath's hometown. He's the guy who killed Goliath. This is the, these, these are the people who hate him because he's been so successful against them in battle. And now they're, they're, their opportunity is perfect. They can take him out. So David pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Can you imagine? It probably, if you had to pretend to be insane, it probably would help to be terrified for your life. <laughs> you know, it's easier to cry if you've got to act like you're crying. It's probably easier to cry if you really got something you can think about that would make you cry anyway. And so here's David, the mighty David, scraping the, the wall. And oh, what a scene. I guess I'm curious to see what it's like, but I'm not so sure I want to. And so there he is, acting insane. And Achish said to his servants, look at this man. Look at it. Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must, I, must this man come into my house? Which is a funny line, actually. Am I so short on, on mad people, madmen, that I have to get an extra? Which makes you think, I wonder how many other were hanging around his town, right? Uh, he must have had a bunch of them. But, uh, you know, Achish, the ruler, says, I don't need this nonsense, and it winds up saving David's life. So David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he's by himself, pretty much. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And, and all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, 
gathered around him, and he became their leader, about 400. And that's David's personal experience, out of which afterwards, maybe in the cave of Adullam, maybe after, I mean, even his brothers opposed him early on, and now his brothers are with him. And, and so after this terrible experience, he writes, and this is what he says. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I was so afraid of Achish, and I called out to God, and he says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called. I called to God, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. I, I didn't deserve to be rescued. I'm just a poor, I'm just a poor man. But the Lord heard me, and he saved me out of all my troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them, fear him, and he delivers them. So the presence of God, the angel of the Lord, Yahweh's presence encamps around and keeps us safe in the middle of terrible dangers. So what an emotional roller coaster for David and, and what, a, what a time. And, and I wonder in our lives too, if uh, we've been terribly offended or some terrible thing has happened or an enemy attacks us or uh, illness comes or, or maybe we actually are mad, right? Maybe we have a crazy time in our life and we feel like we've lost it all. And we're so humbled and so embarrassed and so tortured by our own failings. And God comes and, and he encamps around us and delivers us. If that happened to you, would you not? If you knew God rescued you and you came out the other side okay, would you not tell everybody, praise the Lord, extol his name, right? The response is normal. It's good, to, it's good to praise God when he gets us through the dark, dark, dark days. And so that's what David did. So he praised the Lord and we understand a little bit his personal experience. And now the psalm takes a turn that I can't really, I, I understand it, but I, it's some, I'm surprised by it, kind of. I don't think I would have predicted this. And David basically changes his tone to an invitation. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've gone through this horrible experience and I want you to take the time. I want you, if you've never known Yahweh, if you've never known God, I want you to test it and see. I want you to sample him. I want you to understand that he's good. If you've never known that God is good, if, if you go through dark times and you don't have one to call out to, I'm telling you from experience, David says, that if you taste and see, you'll find out that he's good. He's tov. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And so now he starts picking up this word blessed, just like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in this, you know, stand and sit and all that stuff. Remember that? You know, blessed, he's picking that up. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And then he starts to give some instruction. He says, fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. So if you want to taste and see, then some of the things you need to understand is that you're going to fear him, you're going to revere him. He's the one who has created all things and he's worthy to revere. And he said, the lions grow uh, weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good things. So even though other things seem to be, it's unexplainable why the lions would grow weak and hungry unless, of course, there was famine in the land or terrible disaster. So 
even when everybody else is suffering bad, even when the whole system, even Mother Nature, I should never use the word Mother Nature in a church, even when nature, right? Even when nature seems to be out of, a, of, of sorts and all, all crazy, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You say, I, I, um, I'm loved by God, and so uh, he's in... He's working all things out for my good. And so there's nothing that I have that I, you know, that I need that I don't have. There's nothing that I want that I should have that I, he hasn't given me. And even in my bad things, God's working out for good. So I, I really, I may lack a car or I may lack a bank account, but I lack no good thing, not in God's eyes. And then he says another part of the invitation, come my children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You want, uh, you want me to explain to you what it's like to fear the Lord? Let me give you some more instructions. He says, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. Is that you? I do. I, I, sometimes I don't love life. Sometimes life is a pain. But if you want to live and see many good days, you, most of our lives are, are, the younger we are, the more optimistic we are about our futures. We kind of think it's all going to be okay. And the older we are, the more we tend to kind of think, man, it was a really hard road. And we want more good days than bad days. And I have to say, by God's grace, I've, my experience, I would have to say life has been really good. God has been so good to me. I've had many more good days. But that's not true for everybody, and it's not true all the time, even in my life. And so God is, but if you want to see good days, there's a few things you can do to show that you fear the Lord. And so uh, David almost kind of turns into a proverb writer here. He starts giving us like proverbs. Like in general, if you want to see many good days, this is the kind of person that you are. And he says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So there's a, that's a pretty good little, uh, there's a lot of good Instagram verses in this psalm. I don't know if you picked up on that, right? These are, there's a lot of good things that could be on your wall. But this is a really good little ethic to just kind of keep yourself in mind. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Remember uh, the way that God describes Job. Have you seen my servant Job? He, he fears the Lord and he shuns evil. That was the most descriptive thing you could say about Job. He was a righteous man. He, he feared God and he, turned, he shunned evil. He, he kept his tongue from evil, his lips from telling lies, and he turned from evil to do good things. And he sought peace and pursue it. We're supposed to seek peace, not conflict. We're supposed to pursue peace. If you misunderstand, if you're upset with me, I'm supposed to pursue reconciliation with you. I'm supposed to be peaceful. Let me try to illustrate this a little bit. Um, who would like to be a sweet old lady for us today? Somebody that has unassailable character, right? Uh, and there's quite a few candidates here, not necessarily that you're old, but you're sweet ladies. How's that? <laughs> All right. So let me pick, uh, let me, let me pick somebody who's not here like, like Jane Scolens, right? There's a sweet old lady. So let's, um, let's imagine for a minute that um, somebody says that Jane Scolens, that sweet 
old lady has been going to the um, to the slaughterhouse and getting cow bones from you know she gets the cow bones out of the the refuse she gets them and then she brings them home and she dries them out and paints them kind of yellow and sells them as dinosaur bones and people believe that they're really dinosaur bones and so she's making this she's got this racket going it's a really it's a money making scheme she gets cow bones for free and then fakes them out as cow bones she bakes them gets them dried out good paints them yellow and then and she takes fragments of it and then you know passes them off of mastodon even beyond mastodons like try you know t-rexes and stuff like that so that's an awful thing that jane would do that and um but suppose somebody comes up and tells you that she's doing that she's that jane is she's She's baiting and switching cow bones and, and selling them as, and you said, oh, that can't be. I know Jane. No, I'm telling you, I saw in her, in her garbage can, there was all kinds of yellow paint cans. And there's, you know, I saw these dinosaur bones. I had Jane written all over it. And, and so then you tell somebody. So then if I were to take the story about Jane and the yellow cow bones, right, or the, the dinosaur bones, and I were to tell you about that, did you know that Jane, I'm not sure for sure, but did you know that Jane is taking cow bones and selling those as dinosaur bones? What did I just do? What did I do with your story? What did I do? I slandered her, right? Because I don't know that it's true that she's doing this thing with dinosaur bones. And, but I am telling something about her that's negative, that you will take as negative. I'm slandering her. I'm sinning against her. I'm lying because I don't know. If it's not true, I am for sure lying. If I don't know that it's true, I might be lying. But in either case, I'm slandering her in a way. I'm passing on a bad report, right? Do you understand how that is? And then what if I say, yeah, but yeah, but, but you need to know that it's a the ends justify the means. Yeah, it's not good to slander Jane, but, but if I don't, then somebody who's really selling dinosaur bones is going to lose all their business. And so I, I, I just got to do something to elevate this other business that sells real dinosaur bones. Did that make it okay? No. We would all know that. This is Christianity 101, right? You don't lie and you don't slander and you don't do something that seems to have a good end, just you don't do wrong to get a good result. All those things are wrong. My heart is broken. Is yours? By how many fellow believers are participating in slander today? Because they'll take a story about somebody that we don't know is true, and they'll repeat it and publish it online and share it and say, can you believe this? And we don't know it's true or we maybe even know it's not true. But if we don't, then, the, then the, my candidate won't get elected. And so I've got I've to keep pushing the pressure because the other side's doing this all the time too. And we justify the slanderous lies that we don't know are true and we promulgate. And there, there could be just as big a conspiracy Bunch of mumbo jumbo is Jane taking cow bones and making dinosaurs. We don't know. 
I said, oh, no, no, it's different. I'm not so sure it is. As a Christian, we should not be participating in slander. I wonder how many how many believers are going to have at the judgment day going to have their Facebook activity exhibited as deeds done while in the body that did not please Jesus because we we slandered people that we think it was okay to slander because we got to win our political battle. Christians ought not to play that way. You have ideas to promote, pro-life, justice, the gospel, right? You promote ideas. But to slander individuals, I think it violates this thing. You're not fearing the Lord. So keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Don't try to create problems. The, the Proverbs tell us that a person who participates in an argument that's not their own is like, a, a, it's like, a, it, it's like twisting a dog's ear. It makes painful. It doesn't help anything. And when we repeat offenses, we just cause them to be worse. And We need to seek peace and pursue it. Hey, calm down. Settle down here. Are you sure we want to say this? Is this the message we want to? If, if you meet a stranger, do you want them to, this is my desire, is when I meet a stranger, I don't want them to tune me out right away because I'm associated with some kind of uh, political movement. I want them to be able to hear the gospel first. If they wanted to reject Jesus, then that's different. That's fine. Uh, the gospel is offensive, but I don't want to offend somebody before that, based on my opinion of stuff that's changing so fast, who knows what's going on? You understand? Right? Does anybody have it all figured out? The more you think you do, the less you do. <laughs> so we got to be humble and, and be careful to not get caught up in the whirlwind. So anyway, let's go back and understand. David gave an invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who fear the Lord are blessed. Come, and come, my children, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. And he reminds us that the basic ethic is just basic politeness. Don't lie about things. Don't lie to people. Turn from evil and do good. Don't do evil things. Do good things. Be known for your good deeds. And you seek peace and pursue it. So those are the first three sections of the psalm. And aren't you kind of surprised by how that all took a turn too? I mean, how does this whole experience with Achish have anything to do with all of the stuff about not speaking lies and stuff. But, but he's, he's, he's helping us understand the nature of the world. And so that's my fourth point. And the last three verses, four verses, or actually six, I think, are little couplets that just keep saying the same thing over and over in a different way. And it goes, it harks all the way back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, who honors God, who, who doesn't do these wicked things and fall into the seat of God. But those, they're like a tree planted by a, um, a river, right? They, they bears its fruit in season. But those, not so the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. So there's this dichotomy. There's this binary choice. You're either one who fears the Lord and takes delight in his commands, or you're a person who's in a place of wickedness. And if you are not, there is no other place to be. I know that there's a lot of people who wish that you could kind of love the world and still have a foot in the whole salvation thing. That, you know, I, I want Jesus to save me from 
hell, but man, I sure want to live like hell here while I can because it's a lot of fun. And so they, they, they try to stay in both camps, but the Bible has no such category. You're either one who fears the Lord and you're like a tree planted by the river of life. In the end, you'll have eternal life. Or you are one who rejects the gospel, rejects the truth, and you are condemned. So let's see how David says this after his invitation. Look what he says. He says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. So like last week, we talked about the eyes of the Lord are watching and he considers what we do. Here, the lives of the Lord are here to, uh, to rescue us. His, the face of the Lord is at, but, look at the contrast, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. And so there's really only two orientations that you have to the eyes of the Lord. You're either, his eyes are on you because you're righteous and his ears are attentive to your cry, oh God, help me, help me, and he does, or the face of the Lord is against you and when you cry out for help, he'll say, you ask for it, you get it, and you'll be condemned and your name is blotted out. You don't even have a history. And so that's, they're really talking. Look how he says it again. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous may have troubles, but the Lord delivers them from the awe, from them all. He protects all their bones. Not one of them will be broken. That's a prophecy about Jesus, right? And then and then look what he says, but evil will slay the wicked. Your evil will be your own undoing. Your own evil will be what destroys you. Sin is its own consequence. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. But again, the Lord redeems his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So how does a person take refuge? I, I'm not good enough. I, I understand my own works are not capable, right? But when I take refuge in Jesus, Jesus is the one who comes down and meets all of God's holy demands and lives a perfect life. And then he dies on the cross and as a perfect sacrifice and he pays the penalty for my sin and he shows victory over death and he shows victory over Satan and he crushes Satan's head and he raises from the dead the third days and he's vindicated. But he had to lose it all so that I would be redeemed. He buys me back and, the, and he rescues me from my sin. And so the Bible here says the Lord redeems his servants. Those who God redeems, they're blessed. They're the ones who take refuge in him. But if you're not redeemed, you're outside. So how does a person become one of the ones who's redeemed? Who would not want to be redeemed? How do you become redeemed? You have to accept Jesus' work on your behalf, that he did it for you, but there's the repentance of sin. I turn away from being my own boss and I give my life over to God. I have to fear the Lord. There's no such thing as saying, well, yeah, I like Jesus to save me, but I'm still my own boss. That doesn't, that's not the same. You can't do that. It's Jesus, please save me. I can't be my own boss. You take over. You're the Lord of my life. And those are the ones that are his servants. And so God saves those who by faith trust in Jesus and Jesus alone and repent of their sin and give him lordship in their life. You can't have the blood of Jesus without him being the boss of your life, Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And so that's what David says. So really, 
It kind of turns into a gospel message in the end. It's the same as Psalm 1. It's the same as the whole Bible, right? You have one of two choices. Like Jesus said in his great Sermon on the Mount, he talked about um, those who hear my words and put them into practice are like the man who built his house on the rock. And when all of life's adversities came, when you had to flee to Achish, when you had to pretend you were insane, whatever, the, when those things come, when the winds come and blow and beat against the house, it'll stand firm. It means it lasts forever. It means you have eternal life. But if you hear Jesus' words and do not respond to them in faith and do not put them into practice, it's not just you have to give him lordship. If you don't put them into practice, if you don't do what Jesus says, if you don't put them into practice, you're like a person who built his house on the sand. And when the storms of life come, the sand has no capacity to keep you stable and erodes away and it stumbles and falls and you become, and you're consumed by your own foundation and you sink away. And, the, and Jesus says it'll be completely destroyed and even says, and great is the destruction. The house falls and won't stand. There's one or the other. And I beg you, please believe in Jesus and give him your life. He deserves it. And like David says, taste and see, and you'll find out how good God is. You know, the biggest irony here is really is that an unbeliever thinks that they're going to lose all the good of life when they give Jesus lordship. And the truth is exactly the opposite. You get everything. Jesus says anyone who holds onto their life who wants to hold on to it will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, if you lose your life for me, then you will find true life. It's going to be, it is the greatest blessing of all to have Jesus as your big brother, God as your father, eternity as your inheritance, heaven as your inheritance. The meek inherit the earth. We get it all because Jesus did it all. Amen? Father, thank you so much. Help us to remember to keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking lies. Help us to, to turn from evil and to do good, to seek peace and pursue it. Help us to be like Jesus. That's really what we're saying. We love him so much. He's done everything for us. Forgive us for the times that we don't follow him with our whole heart. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us as we sing our closing song. Amen. What a great Messiah. Isn't it great to have him, your Redeemer, the one who encamps around us and rescues us from difficulties and troubles and rescues us from ourselves? What a great Savior. Thank you so much for coming today. Um, please encourage others. Try to seek peace and pursue it. Be a positive influence on our world in Jesus' name, right? You're dismissed.